Would you open God's precious holy word to John chapter 10? We'll be in verses 11 through 21. This is the second part of the message we saw a couple of weeks ago that started out in John 10 about the good shepherd. Resurrection authority. Today, and it should be every day as well, our minds are fixed on the resurrection of Jesus Christ because he lives, I will live. A great lesson here, this is the earliest, this is the time in John when Jesus, five or so months from the cross, begins to prepare his disciples especially for his death, burial, and resurrection. So we look at this here in these verses. Jesus is continuing a dialogue that has gone for some several verses earlier. And he continues here and he says, I am the good shepherd. I think it was in John 5 where Christ said that he was greater than Abraham and he greater, he's greater than Moses. Now he tells them he's greater than David because the belief among the Jews had always been that the one who was considered the shepherd of Israel was David. References are continually made here to the 23rd Psalm, the principles that are laid down about the shepherd. And of course, we all know how that starts. The Lord is my shepherd. Christ takes that position. In other words, what is being said in the Psalm 23 is a direct reference to Jesus of Nazareth. I am the good shepherd. Now he has previously warned people in the presence of the religious leaders about the danger of thieves and robbers, those whose only interest in the fold, in the flock, was personal. In other words, personal gain. They didn't really care about the sheep. All they wanted out of it is what they could get for themselves. And of course, his, his reference is to the religious leaders of Judaism and, and the Jews at that time. We've seen not just in John's gospel, but in Luke's gospel when we were there and the other two gospels some years ago when we studied those about how the religious leadership would literally milk the people of their money and their wealth. The requirement being in the law that they had to come on certain occasions to the temple and they had to bring a, an acceptable sacrifice and, and the, the religious leadership had set up this, this scam where they could just take people for everything they were worth knowing the people, the worshipers, knowing that they had to get into the temple and do the things necessary for their worship for a particular, for a particular occasion. And they had, many of them had come for so many miles, they couldn't just turn around and go back. 
and they would have to give temple tax. They would have to pay a, a, another fee for a, quote, acceptable sacrifice, close quote, because the MO was that uh, those who were in charge of exam, the priests who were in charge of examining the sacrifices that had been brought would declare them unacceptable. And they would say, but I can, I'll turn your attention over here to this corral and we have a fine selection of acceptable, already pre-examined uh, sacrificial lambs that you can take. And they'd have to pay exorbitant prices for that. So they were, they were not interested in the sheep. They were not interested in the people of God. They were interested in themselves. And Christ makes that point here in this greater context. They are hirelings. And he talked about himself being the door. This is in the first uh, 10 verses of this chapter. I'm the door to the fold, Jesus said. If somebody doesn't come in by the door, he comes in, he sneaks in some other way. He'll climb the fence and he's a murderer and a thief. He's a killer and he robs. See, his only, the one who comes in to steal is not interested in anything other than what he can get for the sheep. And if the sheep, not knowing his voice, become naturally unruly, then he slits their throats and he takes their wool and and uh, sells their flesh uh, for food and so forth. And he has no interest. He'll just kill them where they are and then drag them off and, and make money out of it. Jesus said, if they come in that way, they are a hireling. They are not the true shepherd. So Jesus is contrasting himself to the failed system of Judaism upon which the sun is actually setting in the days of Jesus. The good shepherd lays down his life soul for the sheep. Now I've, I've translated that word up here in the Greek text. Uh, the word is sukain. It's the last word in the top line there. Sukos is the root. It means the soul. Sukos. Psychology comes from that. The sukos of a man. We have sarks, we have flesh, we have pneuma, we have spirit, and then we have, we have sukos, we have, we, have we have a soul. The soul came into existence in the creation of man when flesh met spirit. God spirited man. God breathed into his nostrils and the word ruach, the word means he, he gave him of his spirit. And when those two came together, man, another, another thing of man was formed, the soul, the soul of man. It is the essence of who you are. It's where, it's where, the, it's where the power of the breath of, of God to give us life meets the old dead clay. And then this self-existence begins, this Self-awareness, all of who we are, the existence, our self-awareness and, and our recognition of self. It is the seat. It is the seat of emotion, uh, of, of, of course, self-awareness. It is the driving force of who we really are, the soul, the soul of man. So I have. There's two other words for life. Maybe your Bible translates that word life. I've translated it life soul because of the word sukain. 
And there are two other words in the Greek, bios, bios, which is uh, biological life. Biology comes from that word. And zoe is another Greek word that refers to life in general, the study of life, zoology, the life, life in general. But that all has to do with physical life. Here, however, sukain, which comes from sukos, means, means the real me. Christ says, the good shepherd lays down his life soul for the sheep. It wasn't just his flesh and his sinless blood that he offered on the cross that projected itself into the lives of believers, those of us who are in Christ that saved us. It was the essence of Christ himself. It was, it was the reality of who he really is. And he was sinless. He had no sin. He had never experienced the conviction of sin. Have you, have you, ever, have you ever done something wrong and, and felt badly about it? I have. Just the other night. Just the other night. At a baseball game. The the umpire was still wrong and I don't care. (laughs) But in great moment of flesh, I stood up with my face red, tears welling up in my eyes, and I yelled at him. My heart was in my throat. It was... I was ready for action. Let me tell you, the best thing, that doesn't happen to me very often, very often, but sometimes it does. And if you're ever in the presence, what you need to do is gently touch me and say, Brother Owens, let's pray. (laughs) But I got to tell you something. I have felt bad about that ever since it happened. I was in the middle of a lot of people and I just made a rear end out of myself. Clearly, the ball hit the line down the first base line. This guy, whose strike zone for Hartzell was like this big, and for other teams like this big, saw what I saw. Fobo! A little later... A dear lady right behind, we were behind the umpire and she said something, reminding the umpire that it's good that he gave him this kid this walk because he deserved it having the guy having missed the call on the line. Well, the guy took off his face guard and turned around and looked at that little group. He put his hands out and he said, that'll be enough of that. Boy, he set me off. No, we've just started, Buster. Oh! I don't know what got into me. I popped up out of that. I said, hey, Slick, what about the First Amendment? He acted like he didn't hear me. Now, I said all that to say this. 
I'm still repenting and I feel, still feel bad. I'd, I'd, have, I'd have got a hold of that guy if he didn't, you know. I just had such a, I was <laughs> so full of sarks, the flesh. And he made me feel bad. Everybody else got a laugh out of it when I was there, see? Which made me feel even worse. It's bad enough to know that you've done something wrong, but then to know that everybody knows that you made a fool out of yourself, that's even worse. So, here's the point to tie it into the message. That's not the only thing I've ever done that I felt bad about. There's a whole bunch of that kind of stuff all the way through my life, even worse. Yours too. Every single piece of it, Christ took upon himself. To know that he didn't just feel that bad like I've been feeling ever since that game, but you put it together with all of those who belong to Christ since the beginning of the elect of God. You put it all on Christ. And Christ says, here's what the good shepherd does. He doesn't just bleed for you. He gives himself... He'll take every, every conviction of sin, everything that's wrong with you, he'll take it on himself and he'll kill it there. You know what? I have repented and asked for forgiveness. But I have this assurance that I will not have to pay for that sin. He already did. And he knew that it was coming <laughs> Oh, man, you know what the Calvinist said when he fell down a flight of stairs? Well, I'm glad I got that over with, you know. So, <clears throat> Looking back on how he has forgiven that sin, I'm glad I got that one over with. Because he gave his life soul. He gave everything of who he is. Can you understand that? Every bad feeling I've ever had, and you multiply that by every believer who ever has been or ever will be, and it was all laid on Christ. God the Father looked down upon Christ on the cross and he said, That thing is sin. And he turned away. Cried Christ to quote the psalm, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because the Father loved him and loved me and because Christ didn't forsake me. That's why. The good shepherd lays down, lays down his life soul for the sheep. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians. He who knew no sin was made to be sin in our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Being in Christ means that I'm forgiven. I'm not perfect, but I'm forgiven. I'm covered. I'm covered forever. And we'll see more about what this means as we go through this passage of scripture. The hired servant will never do that. The guy who's there for himself. Even, there, are even, uh, there are even preacher type folks who just, 
They want to swell with themselves. You know, they just want to be filled with all kinds of personal pride and, and glory. And they want to extract money from people and glory and praise from people and this kind of thing. That's the hired servant. But the hired servant, not being the shepherd and not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep, runs away. And the wolf snatches and scatters them. Because he's a hired servant and he is not personally concerned about the sheep. The difference between the good shepherd, the true shepherd, the real shepherd, and the hireling. The one whose voice the sheep will not follow. They will not follow a stranger. And so it is with those of us who are born again in Christ the Holy Spirit deposits himself into our lives and he gives us this discernment. We understand that Christ does these things for us and he will not run away nor will he forsake us. And thus we can recognize the hireling, the false shepherd when he comes around. I am the good shepherd, second point here. And I know my own and I'm known by mine. As the father knows me, I also know the father. Now in the context, here's what he's saying. As close as the father and the son are and know each other. This is the triune. This is part of the Trinity, part of the Godhead. One God in three persons. They intimately know each other in all of eternity in it with a bond that is beyond imagination for a human. And yet he says, you know what? I know my own sheep just as well as the Father knows me. And they know me. John 6, remember? All that the Father gives to me will come to me, Christ said. And the one who comes to me, I will never, ever cast out. And then on down in that chapter, he says, but I will raise him up at the last day. And this is the will of my father who sent me. The will of the father that the son would never lose not a single one of his. We are cantankerous. We are prone to wander. We're idiots because the, the shepherd has to lead us away from rushing water, has to lead us into green pastures and to be calm still. Well, you know, sheep have a, a, a natural fear of the sound of rushing water and it scares them, it runs them off and all. Because if he gets too deep, this wool will soak up the water and he'll just stand there overburdened with weight, the water having come up into his wool, and then he'll die. He'll drown in a very shallow part of water. So he has this natural fear, and the shepherd looks out after him like that. He looks out after me the same way. We're prone to wander, and he'll leave the 90 and 90 and go for the one who has wandered away until he finds his own. I will not lose a one, Christ said in John 6, I am the good shepherd, he says in John 10. 
Just like the Father knows me. You know, the book of Hebrews, we've talked about this many times, but it is essential. Before the foundation of the world, the Bible teaches us, it's one of the teachings is in Hebrews, that the Father and the Son entered into a covenant. And the Father gave to the Son those whom the Bible calls the elect. I don't know who all they are. The Father does, the Son does. And the deal was that the Son gladly accepted the gift from the Father and He would even die to ransom them if they were ever threatened with kidnap. And so He gave His life for us and all that has gone wrong with us since the fall of man He has corrected for his own on the cross because he laid down his life soul and there it is again. I lay down my life soul for the sheep. Fourth point. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. This fold is the fold of the Old Testament believers and these of the Jewish people here. But he says, I have others who are not of this fold. We're all one flock. But this particular group was taken here in this fold. It behooves me to bring those also. And they will hear my voice. And there will be one flock with one shepherd. If you are a believer here today and you're not a Jew but a Gentile. Well, in the the day of the church. Jew or Gentile. You can thank God in Christ that you are saved. And you can thank God in Christ that you are part of the flock. Because now his voice is extended to all, including the Gentiles. And this is something that was promised in Isaiah in many places. But chapters 42 and 49 come to mind. And then Galatians 3, where Paul says in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek nor whatever. We're all the same because of his call that's come to us. And this is our great joy in the time of the church. He called me with an irresistible call and I came. And he gave me the gift of confession and repentance. He gave me the gift of forgiveness and he gave me the gift of salvation All of these things that I could have never had because I was dead in trespass and sin. If you're here today and you're a Gentile and you're saved, it is because Christ himself has made you part of his flock. It's nothing you did, nothing I did. Only Christ has done it. Only Christ. There will be one flock with one shepherd. Point number five. Because of this, the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life so that I might take it up again. That I might take it again. The essence and everything of Christ. Body, soul, all of it. I'll lay it down and I'll take it up again. The Father loves me. Because I have entered into the covenant. The eternal wonderful covenant with God. The Father. The Father and the Son have come together and the Father loves Him because of this. 
because I lay down my life so that I might take it again. No one takes it from me. I told you last time, well, a couple of weeks ago. How, and we'll see it later in John's gospel, how they came to arrest Christ. And there were at least a thousand of them to come to arrest him. They didn't know what kind of, what kind of rebellion they might face. And so they overloaded the number of soldiers, including temple guards and Roman soldiers well-armed and battle-hardened. And Christ knocked them down with a thought. They all fell when Jesus said, I am he. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of myself. This is planned from before the foundation of the world. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it again. Resurrection authority. Now let's go back and think what we just have looked at in this passage. Christ has brought us into his flock. The life of the flock, the lives of the sheep, depend upon the life of the shepherd. If the shepherd dies, the flock will die. They won't follow another and they can't follow a dead man. Our shepherd has authority to do whatever he has to do to bring us to himself and to take the sinful person that we are into the grave and leave it there and bring us out with him in resurrection power. He has this authority. Romans chapter eight says the same spirit that raised up Christ from the dead will raise up those of us who are in Christ. Same thing will happen for us. Why? Because of the authority, the resurrection authority of the shepherd. We follow the shepherd. I have, he's, he calls himself the good shepherd. I have authority to take it up again. I received this commandment from my father. The obedience of the son to the father. So the promise, the great promise is for those of us who are in Christ, we are part of the, what the Bible calls the first resurrection, the resurrection to life. We should have no fear of death. Our shepherd leads the way, the valley of death, the valley Celt, it's called in the, in the old land, narrow, spooky place where there was danger, but the shepherd had to take his sheep. It was the shortest way. And he could quickly move between seasons from one green pasture to another. But he would lead the way. And he would have a rod and a staff and he would fight. It was a terror to the thief or the wolf or the jackal. These weapons of the shepherd. But it was a comfort to the sheep. Thy rod and thy staff. They comfort me. Our shepherd has emerged Victorious on the other side of the valley of death. And we are right there behind him. We didn't have to do a thing. He did it all. This was the covenant 
between himself and his father. And it came as a commandment from the father that the son would be obedient even to the death of the cross. You'll remember in the, in the passion of the Christ in that time, he made this strange request that this would be taken from him, what he was about to do. Already the sense of conviction of sin, something he had never, ever known. Not just sin, but I mean the whole of sin of his own people coming upon him. Everything that any of us have ever done, regardless of how bad, regardless of how cruel, regardless of how wrong, when we come to be in Christ it's all laid on him. And he puts it away in the grave. And he comes out from there in glory, glorified, guaranteeing our resurrection as well. And so what the shepherd has accomplished, he has accomplished for his sheep. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Ra, ra, adversity. I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. In the first 10 verses, Christ said, I am the door. You can't come in to the fold except through the door. What Christ is saying, it was, a, it was a shepherd kind of instruction where the shepherd will care for, he knows them by name. He, we talked about that last time we were in this chapter. Shepherds had this practice of naming their sheep. And he would examine every one of them as they came through the door one by one to see if anything was wrong, what he needed to do so that they might be restored, that he might help them. This is what he does for you and me. He is the door. And we will come through on the other side and we have our part in the first resurrection. Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15 and he says, every man will be raised in his own order. Tachma, it's an interesting Greek word. It means in his own troop, in his own rank. Some have already been resurrected. Did you know that? The Bible talks about those whose graves were opened after Jesus came out and Christ the first fruit. And then those who are his in their own order. Some of us will be raised up at the rapture of the church at the close of the church age. Still part of the first resurrection. In the... Great tribulation, in the time of the tribulation, the two witnesses will be killed and they'll be raised up. Their resurrection, still part of the first resurrection. All the way to the end of the, all the way to the end of the tribulation. And then Daniel chapter 12 talks about the Old Testament saints and they'll be raised up. Still part of the first resurrection. Each man in his own order, in his own rank, in his own troop. I have authority to take it again. I received this commandment. From my father. So as surely as he has emerged on the other side of the grave, glorified, he gives to those who are his own the same thing. I have my part. 
You see, Paul writes it to the Colossians and he writes, and he says, God already sees us as having been raised up into the heavenlies. He already sees us that way. It is that sure of a thing. All because of what Christ has done for us. Again, there was a division among the Jews on account of these words. Now, many of them were saying, he has a demon. He's insane. Why do you listen to him? Others were saying, how can these things be said by one who is possessed by a demon? Is a demon able to open the eyes of the blind? Of course, this is all in the context of Christ healing the blind man earlier. People still spout off and fight. Jesus was this or Jesus was that. But unless and until he is your good shepherd, it's meaningless to you. Everything they said here was just useless. They were not making the announcement, the proclamation, the profession that they should have been making in their lives because they kept arguing that Jesus was something other than what he is. God, the son who came to pay the price for his own and who has guaranteed our resurrection by his own resurrection and thus can freely promise us eternal life. Life into the ages of the ages of the ages. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the son of God. He came into this world to save sinners. Perhaps you would come to Christ today. Perhaps God is calling you. Only you can know that. Maybe you're here, you're already a Christian and God leads you to come and be a part of the family of Shiloh. Where we try our best to love each other and to love Christ. To be disciples of Christ, to learn his word that we might grow in Christ in this life and share Christ with others. And fellowship with each other. And as far as it's possible within us to be obedient to everything that he's taught us. If God calls you into that, you want to come and be a part of Shiloh, this invitation is open for you as well. As you exit this room, as you go out, you'll find a couple of rooms where there are deacons and wives standing in the doorway. And they wait to receive you and pray with you and discuss with you about what God wants in your life. You can settle those matters today. Today. In Christ. For now, would you prayerfully stand all over this room?